Hi everyone, it's Nighty. We're breaking from our usual format here. What's happening in Armenia right now is huge, and we didn't want to wait until our next season to tell you about it. So we're bringing you a very raw interview with Gayane Milonian, a mother of two from Stepanagert, who has just been forced to flee her home, along with all the ethnic Armenians in Nagorno-Karabakh, or Artsakh, as it's known to Armenians. After nine months of a brutal blockade that cut off access to food, medicine, fuel, and other necessities, on September 19th, Azerbaijan launched a large-scale attack on the Armenians of Nagorno-Karabakh. People were starving and trapped, and now they were being bombed. After days of indiscriminate shelling, Azerbaijan finally opened the only road connecting Karabakh to Armenia, and the entire ethnically Armenian population has had no choice but to flee to the Republic of Armenia. Within less than a week, Nagorno-Karabakh has been ethnically cleansed. Over 100,000 Armenians, including Gayane and her family, are now refugees. And for the first time in millennia, Artsakh is empty of Armenians. I spoke to Gayane on September 28th, a day after she and her family had arrived in Armenia. The drive normally takes an hour and a half, but there were so many people fleeing at once, and there was an Azerbaijani checkpoint that they had to go through. So it took them two days. We spoke in the town of Vaik, which had become one of the registration centers for the refugees flooding in. It was impossible to find a quiet spot. The road was filled with cars, people carrying whatever belongings they could. Every roadside stop was packed. We walked a bit and found a table by a playground. I was in complete awe of Guyana's composure and her eloquence, given what she'd just survived. Here's our conversation. She starts by talking about growing up in the middle of a decades-long conflict. My name is Gane. I'm 36 years old. I'm from Artsakh, Stepanakert. So your whole life has been in Artsakh, except for when you've been forced to leave because of war, because of danger. Yes, it was actually, yeah. In during the 90s war, you were a kid, where did you go? Uh, actually, my childhood, some part of my childhood, I spent in a sh- in shelter. Uh, we have a large one uh, under our house, and it became a tradition, actually, uh, when war starts in Artsakh, our neighbors and relatives come together in our shelter and we spend time there. When I was a kid, uh, it feels like usual, ordinary days. My mom wasn't scared and she didn't show that she's scared for her life, for our lives. Uh, and when uh, we were hearing the shellings, the sound of shelling, she was telling us that it's firework and not shelling. So we weren't scared at that time because we didn't acknowledge what's going on. Mm. 
it wasn't too bad when I was a child, but now when I acknowledge what's what's happening, what's going on, it's horrible actually. Uh, I try to stay positive near my kids because it helped me when my mom acted like this, like this during the first war. But after the 2020 war, I tried to explain them that every day we can, we should and must appreciate every little thing we have, every piece of bread, every piece of cake, and every person, every loved person in our life, because every day uh, they can not be in our life anymore. How old are your kids? My, my daughter Milana is 11 years old and my uh, son is nine years old, Sergei. His name is Sergei. And so basically you're saying that you've been preparing them for the idea, for the idea that one day they might lose everything. Yeah. And, but now in terms of material things, that day has come, right? Did you think it would come? I was almost sure and actually that thought was killing me inside every day. I was trying to overcome that feeling, but uh, when the blockade, the total blockade uh, started, I was really scared and it was really complicated for me to overcome that fear. Uh, I started to take some antidepressants it helped. <laughs> Can you explain specifically why, like, you've lived in, in a war, in a war zone your whole life, but what specifically did the blockade make you feel that was so different? Uh, all the people were hungry, starving, uh, standing in lines for hours to get bread, loaf of bread, uh, and mostly they couldn't find it but that was the the most unimportant thing compared to the fear that you are not so strong you don't have anything to protect your child when Azeris were killing us they did almost nothing actually to prevent murders like who? like peacekeepers Russian peacekeepers I think that their job was protecting us from being killed and from being hurt. If, if our safety uh, isn't provided, if we're not safe, why were they there? I kind of want to go into the specifics of living under blockade, especially over the last two months when it got more severe. I think it's hard for people, it can be hard for people to understand so they know the road has been blocked, right, for over nine months. They know that um, at first it was mm, Red Cross and peacekeepers were bringing in, like, basic food and aid, but then that stopped too. Can you, can you give a sense of, like, for you as an individual and as a mother, how, like, what, how specifically did that affect your day-to-day -day life? Um when the total blockade started. Bread was the only thing that uh, helped us to feel full because we couldn't have uh, any sour cream, cheese, eggs, anything. 
I was trying to uh, explain to my children uh, what the best thing about blockade. I wanted them to see the good thing to prioritize what is important. I was trying to tell them that even though you don't have any chocolate, but we have fruits, a, smil a small piece of food is much healthier than a, a spoon of sugar, etc. And I'm happy that they believed me. <laughs> <laughs> the situation just forced people to bring out all the bad things they had inside and it was really for every person it was really hard to control their emotions because if you know that your kids will sleep hungry will not have anything to eat they can't go to school it, it can make you mad just it can make you crazy just in the circumstances that we went through it was impossible not to be affected People were angry, they were screaming, they were hurting each other. It was like law of jungle. Yeah. yeah. Can you tell me about um, when this, uh, the attacks started on the 19th, the, the recent shelling? Yes, yes. Uh, I was waiting for it, that it will come. And that was the worst worst feeling to to know that it will happen you, I was sure that it will happen someday, someday, I was waiting for it I, I was always following Azeri's uh, telegram channels and I've just uh, I've just read that they are going to punish uh, Armenians uh, in the same way that, like they did uh, in 44 day wars, during the 44 day wars I was at work, it was really far from our apartment house. We heard a sound of explosion, a huge explosion. And I just said to my boss that I am going to my kids. And I didn't say, can I please, or something else as I usually do. I just said, I'm going to my kids because I know that what is my priority. And your, my heart was beating so fast. Uh, then I, when I analyzed uh, why I felt that way, because at the same time I was thinking about my daughter because she uh, she's very sensitive. Uh, but I was wrong because she was so smart. She was thinking that it's an earth earthquake, mm -hmm. and she asked my son to go under a table and she uh, convinced him that we're safe here and uh, don't worry we're safe mom will come uh, when i go uh, when i went to our house my dad was already there even though they were alone when it happened then we we went to the shelter and I don't know. I believe that we will survive. I don't know why. Even though it was like we were every next minute we were hearing the sounds of shellings, bombing, and mm. Guyana switches to Armenian for a bit here. 
She's talking about hearing machine gunfire close by. Yes, at shelling nerits and tanra pes and canva chase gun for Matatsume or Garogami and Kamitsmes Panida shed at Vahets Numbat and Mitka for Dohima shelter mess she says she wasn't as scared of the shelling, the thought of something raining down on you and killing you at once, as she was of the machine gun fire, the thought of men, boys, standing face to face and shooting at each other. She says, I know how hard it is to raise a child. I think about what their mothers have gone through. And those 18-year-old kids are fighting without any guarantee that giving their lives is going to change anything. They're dying, and you're still alive. It makes you feel so guilty. Like, I mean, you're 36 throughout your whole life. The the environment that you've lived in, it's always been about, like, protecting and, and keeping rooted in your native land, right? And you know so many people who have given their lives for that, not just now or in 2020 or in 2016, but the, also the 90s. Like, so much of the environment in Artsakh is about staying rooted, right? But... Um this time, it was so different because I was really in love with my country, with the land. Because just sitting somewhere under a tree, it was the most enjoyable thing for me. I can just take my book to re- uh, read and feeling myself as the happiest person in the world. But I was always wondering why my land feels so sweet and why it has so huge attraction. Uh, for many, many, many people, they all, all the people say that Artsakh attracts people. It does. It, it's, it's been attracting me all these years. It's like it pulls you. It's a very special, very, very, very special place. Yeah, but this time I was really disappointed because... The same land is so thirsty for blood. And I don't think that the land will feel full uh, in the future. And what do you I, mean? I mean that so many people, so many soldiers, so many men and also women and kids died for this land. They gave their lives. She wonders, is it worth it to keep having children only to sacrifice them to this land, this soil? We talked a bit more about the past week 
that she and her family had spent mainly in the bomb shelter under their home. It was big enough for 20 people to stay in there. My grandma, uh, our neighbor's big family, their uh, sons, their daughters-in-law and their babies, actually, grandkids. My daughter asked me, will we survive? Mom, only one question, we will survive? I said, yes, we will. And she asked, but I forgot this most important question. She said, will you survive? I said, yes. I said, yes, we all will be survived. survived." Yeah. Did you believe it? I wanted to believe in it. I think if I wouldn't believe it, I didn't. I wouldn't have energy. Actually, in three, three years, I was preparing myself to be killed, and my my kids to be killed. But from shelling, I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't convince myself to be prepared for being cut. That 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 was the most horrible fear of my life. But that fear for my families, for, for, for my kids and for my loved ones forced me to make a decision of leaving Artsakh and not going there any, anymore. It's sad for me. It's a really hard decision. It's probably the most difficult decision I've ever done, but, but I was forced to do it to protect my loved ones. Because to imagine that you just can sleep and someone can cut the neck of neck of your kid, it's unbearable. It made it made me cry a lot when I was alone. And finally, uh, I know it sounds strange, but finally, when the when the war starts, I felt that finally we will die or we will survive but something will change. It was unbearable for so many years, for three years to uh, wait for something to happen. And it was too long to wait. How did you get word that it was possible to leave? And can you tell me like what you did? What was your process getting ready? What did you get ready? How much time did you have? After the first day on the morning, my brother said that uh, they knew the only area that isn't being, wasn't being shelled was the airport where peacekeepers stayed. So they took us to the airport and there were so many thousands of people there hungry. For some period of time, I thought that they will help them with uh, food and with uh, place to stay, but Actually, they had uh, only space for 300 people. Uh, they had food only for 300 people. And how many people were there? I think more than 5,000. For that time, I was there. Fortunately, we had some place and some beds. I convinced them that uh, just please, we have six kids with us. Uh, with us. Uh, we really had and can we just enter uh, to the room and just we can uh, sit on the floor that's enough for us we just don't uh, want to get under the rain because it was a b- bad weather 
They said okay. They stayed at the base for a couple of days. But then, when a ceasefire was announced, they returned to their home in Stepanakert. They knew they needed to leave Artsakh the moment the blockade was lifted. But the peacekeepers told them that it was safe to return home for now. The base was overcrowded, and there were others who couldn't return home, whose villages were already under Azerbaijani control. On September 24th, the first small group of Gharabagh Armenians was brought through the Lachin Corridor into Armenia. And after that, the floodgates opened. Gayane and her family got ready to flee. They knew they'd have to pass through an Azerbaijani checkpoint that had been installed on the Hakari Bridge. And there were fears that people might be detained. Actually, we didn't know that it will take so long we knew that it should take one and a half hour, maybe two hours maximum, but not two days. Two days, 48 hours it took. It took you 48 hours? Yes, yes, it did. For us, for people who were on the those roads, that uh, two days uh, was felt like two years because I wasn't sure. Can we cross the border? Can we cross the border? And it was horrible. It was the most horrible feeling to to look at people that are starving. Uh, two days. I saw so many babies that didn't have milk. And when you see those dirty kids that didn't have electricity to to have a shower, just, just they were in a big, big truck. So many kids and so many hungry kids. We were begging for bread and bringing them back to those people from the villages that didn't know that they will leave and they, they weren't prepared at all. Uh, Azeri's uh, police came with uh, guns. They just... Uh, uh, took out uh, their uh, guns, showed us kind of, but it, for me, watching at this process, they just showed that we have that power, but we are so kind that we are not using those guns for you, we are not killing you, but we can do it. And That's what it felt like, like it's a demonstrative... Yeah, and they just, when they came, our vehicle, our drivers were really hurried to move their vehicles because it was scary for us. They had that guns, they could have killed us, and we know that we don't have a chance to bring any gun to the border because they will not allow us to leave and they can take our people to Baku. So we were unprotected and they were, they had guns. So, can you tell me about uh, what happened when you got to the checkpoint? Mm -hmm. Did you all have to get out of the car? Did they check your passports? What, what happened? Uh, Russian peacekeepers asked how many men, how many women, how many children in every car, in each car. Mm -hmm. That's all. And then? Yeah, as, as uh, we crossed the border during the night, they were so tired. But uh, he stopped my brother, Nrde. And he said, uh, do you have any, uh, any knife or scissors? 
He said, yes, I have two scissors as I like making barbecue. Uh, you can take it if you want, if you want to. And he took that and he recorded his name, uh, looked at his passport uh, and he asked, uh, are, are you from Han Kendi? And they asked, Stepanakert? He said, Han Kendi. He said, yes, yeah, Stepanakert. He said, yeah, okay, go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and we left. Uh, where are you staying in Armenia? We are staying in a village uh, called Karahunch. Uh, 23 person in one room. Yeah. It's uh, a house? It's a big room, large room. Uh, a lovely garden <laughs> and a kitchen, a small kitchen. Uh, we were really happy that we have some place to stay uh, because we are we were so sick and tired of sleeping on in the car. Was and it a place that like the government assigned to you, or something that you guys had arranged on? No, no, no. Government family? assigned to us. So when you came through, you registered. Uh, uh, yeah, we registered and. In uh, bodies. Yeah, and. Uh, we don't think about having a comfortable circumstances, actually. For now, we just uh, need some calm place to recover from everything we went through and to find out what are going to do next. So, you know you're there temporarily, you don't know what's next yet. Yeah. I mean, you got in yesterday, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, what did you bring with you? Uh, I bring with me a uh, clothes of my kids my uh, <laughs> my daughter had a pillow uh, it was a blue rabbit and uh, a pony pillow she really loves them that's why I uh, I brought them and and TV because they uh, wanted to watch cartoons when we come back that's why it was the TV also was important for me to bring. Mm -hmm. uh, that's all actually. Just shoes, some clothes and the TV. Do you feel safe now in Armenia? <laughs> it's a hard question. I'm in love with Goris, but as it's, uh, it's next to Azeris, it's r really close to the border. I can't, I can't live there. I, would prefer living in Goris than in living in Stepanakert, but uh, as it is too close to the border, I don't want to go through the same thing one more time, so that's why I can't say that I feel safe in Goris. So are there many people you know who like just either don't want to or can't leave? I don't know anyone who don't want to leave but I know people that want to leave and they, they are actually begging in social media to help them to find vehicle fuel or someone to drive their car, someone to take them to Hakari village. Someone with kids, with five kids. It makes me sad about that. The war actually taught me to appreciate every little thing and I, when I want to complain about, complain about something for instance 
that I feel cold or my children feel cold. I think about the soldiers who during the November were under, under a big layer of snow and still continuing to protect their families that they left behind. So appreciating every second of life, every second of life, every breath that you see, that you smell, that you can hug your hands, your legs, you can hug, hug your children. For many, many years I want to give them materialistic things, but now I, I look at them, I just sit here, can do nothing, just look at them and be happy that they exist. I love them, they love me, and I can hug them. We don't need money to be happy. We need our safety, a small, small portion of food, just for surviving. We are enough. <laughs>